Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, and what a week. Our guest today has an e-com business as well as a consulting services biz, so double the experience and double the perspective. For that reason, this episode does go a little long, but I promise it's worth it. Before that, though, it's time, as always, for our fun fact. Yay! Today's fun fact is, surprise, not fun at all. The U.S. Capitol has been the location of violence in the past, including two separate bombs planted, as well as a shooting. But, according to my research, this past Wednesday, January 6th, 2021, marks the first time ever it was stormed by a group of Americans. More on that in our next segment. Facts and Figures is our weekly wrap-up designed to provide quantitative historical context, reviewing COVID, unemployment, and Wall Street stats. COVID is out of control. The number of Americans being diagnosed with COVID every day in the U.S. is now five times higher than it was just three months ago, surpassing 300,000 new cases last Friday and 4,200 deaths last Thursday, both of which new record highs. Good news is the vaccine is being administered at a rate of 370,000 per day. Bad news is while that number sounds high, at that rate, it would actually take nearly three years to vaccinate all of the U.S. On to unemployment, though continuing with the bad news, December saw the U.S. lose 140,000 jobs, stopping eight straight months of positive growth. Hospitality accounted for most of that as COVID cases surged. Bars and restaurants got hit the hardest, losing nearly 400,000 positions as California banned outdoor dining. The unemployment rate was unchanged at 6.7%, down sharply from its high of nearly 15% in April, but still close to double the 3.5% mark prior to the pandemic. What does the stock market do with all this information? It just goes up. The S&P and Dow Jones both still hover in record territory, undeterred by stagnating employment, sharply rising COVID stats, and an armed right-wing mob storming the Capitol building. Because this segment is all about context, I feel compelled to share a little more about that storming of the Capitol and subsequent reactions. Given that norm-breaking is a hallmark of the Trump presidency, it might seem like a logical step and therefore not a huge deal. Wrong. It is a huge deal. A couple of things that make the siege historic. One, it's never been done before in the history of our 250-year-old-ish republic. Two, it was encouraged by the president himself, albeit in a semi-indirect way. And three, even after the rioters were cleared from the building and Congress returned to their session to confirm the very election results the rioters were trying to disrupt, Still, the majority of Republican Congress members and a couple of Republican senators voted against confirming the results. This in spite of months of court losses, zero proof of widespread fraud, and election and security officials from both major political parties universally agreeing there was no fraud. In the five, de five days since the storming of the Capitol, Twitter and Twitch permanently banned Trump, citing the risk he, as our president, would incite further violence. Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram all locked Trump's accounts at least through January 20th, Joe Biden's inauguration day. Google and Apple both removed from their app stores, Parler, Shopify permanently took down Trump's campaign merch store, and even PayPal 
deactivated an account that raised money for Trump supporters who traveled to the Capitol. There have been calls and rumors of either a second impeachment and or invocation of the 25th Amendment and the transfer of presidential power to the Vice President Mike Pence for the remainder of Trump's term. So much uncertainty, so little time left in his presidency. We may as well get to our interview about how, with all of this as our backdrop, the world of small business continues to turn. My guest today is Andrew Lees. With a background in mechanical and aerospace engineering, he currently runs two businesses and a podcast. One is a gear rack product line called Grass Racks, and the other is a product development and strategy launch business called Stoke Ventures. He helps clients bring their ideas to life and also plan for a successful launch, providing in-depth market research, business modeling, development, and marketing strategy. Oh, and he also has a podcast called That Entrepreneurship Life. Let's get to it. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Grant. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, it's always good to have on a, a fellow podcast host. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this show was designed more as like an audio shoulder for small business owners to cry on, uh, kind of by, by relating to other small business owners who have had kind of shared generally negative experiences. Uh, that being said, I'm always ha happy to have on an entrepreneur who didn't share in my precipitous drop off in revenue. Uh, we've got a yeah, we've we've got a, a lot to hit on today because you have a few different endeavors, all of which were impacted um, or maybe inspired by COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and hit on your current business endeavors one at a time, starting with the simplest, Grass Racks. Yeah, so Grass Racks is the, actually the first business that I started. Um, few years ago. So actually it's more, a little more than a few now, I guess it was 2012 or 13. And, um, so I had a few years pre COVID with that. And I mean, it, it really, it took us a while to, um, to really get that up to speed. And, and it was very, very bootstrapped. Um, we were, you know, we were investing everything we had every, all the revenue or all the profit that we made, we're investing that back into the company. And actually up until the end of 2020, um, we had continued to do that. Actually, end of 2020 was the first time we actually took money out and put into our pockets, which was pretty cool. Um, so, but that business, I guess I should explain what it is, is <laughs> first of all, uh, it's a, we make board racks for, or we make uh, display racks for boards, bikes, and skis. So you can hang on your wall, um, to, to safely store and also to display your equipment. Um, especially now boards are, there's so many different board manufacturers, board ski and bike manufacturers. And at least with boards and skis, they're kind of like works of art. I mean, they're, you know, I feel like every company is trying to, trying to come out with trying to kind of one up each other with, sure awesome designs and stuff, you know, that they're putting on the, on the bottom of their boards. I hope we don't and, have any, any bicycle manufacturers listening to this who are going yeah, <laughs> to take the games up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's time to, time to wrap those bikes in some pretty awesome stuff, you know, yeah. Huffy, if Huffy's listening, they're probably like, yeah, we, we tried that a while oh, ago. The, oh, they're listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> 
Nice. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we kind of thought I looked around when I started the business, um, years ago, I wanted, I just wanted something to just to store and display my, my gear. Um, so I looked around online, uh, really everything I found was like plastic, junky metal foam stuff that you'd barely be okay with putting in your garage let alone in your house and that's what i wanted to do i wanted to display my my board so not so it was kind of like a dual function it was get them out of the way keep them safe and then and so that's the storage part of it and then i also wanted to to have them on display and you know be able to enjoy them when I'm right. not using them, so that more, was more of a, a, a higher end display rack. So you're using bamboo instead of just plastic or kind of your basic raw you know, materials, your, your yeah. metal posts, kind of your, your cheaper, um, more utilitarian. This is, has a, has a, a cleaner aesthetic to it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Got it. So, yeah. So we went with that and, and found bamboo and it was like, wow, this, this material is awesome. It's strong. It's, uh, it looks great and it, and it's eco-friendly. So yeah, it took a, took a while to get that business really going, but, um, and are you doing all of the designs yourself? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that's yeah, we make, kind of using, utilizing that, uh, mechanical and, and aerospace engineering background. Right. Right. Yeah. Mostly the, just the mechanical, not, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I didn't use as much of the aerospace, you know, the specific aerospace design, but These racks don't fly. No, they don't. But that, that might be the next, you know, in a couple of years, we'll figure something out, you know, we'll take it to the next level. So you started this, so it's basically seven or eight years old. And one, one thing that I, I just wanted to uh, to kind of echo that you just said is that you've had this company since 2012, 2013, and that only towards the end of 2020, did you really start to draw out, uh, just basically take an owner's draw and, mm -hmm. and pay yourselves, meaning that you were probably right. putting a ton of that money back in as bu buying google ads buying facebook ads etc trying to scale up the business so yep, exactly con congratulations on that i do want to move on to to your neck we have uh you know so many things to get to here yeah uh, but before we do real quick run us through kind of where is the manufacturing done warehousing fulfillment do you have any employees all, all of that good stuff yeah, so we manufacture actually here. I'm in North Carolina, uh, outside of Raleigh, and we manufacture here just outside of Durham. So about an hour from where I am, which is which is pretty awesome. Um, and and we fulfill. We don't fulfill here. We uh, started the company outside of Philadelphia, which is where my business partner Evan still is. Um, so we actually fulfill there because he's able to, um, we just ship him up from North Carolina to, to Philly. He's able to kind of keep an eye on it and he handles more of the logistics of, you know, actually touching the product and, and making sure everything looks good before it goes out. So is and he then fulfilling I'm, it himself or are you guys using a, a fulfillment center? We have a film center. Okay. Um, we work with a, a guy there who's, uh, we become really good friends with. He actually super helpful, uh, with our business because we were in a transition period at one point where we were making everything and fulfilling everything out, out of one little shop. Um, and it was actually, we had a third business partner. Um, so, and, 
he had this, this little shop that we could, a little area that we could, um, you know, make product. We're sanding and finishing and kidding everything and shipping it out of there and didn't work out with him. Um, he, it just, uh, we didn't quite see eye to eye. And I mean, it's, it's cool. We're, we're all good friends now, but, um, we actually bought him out. And when we bought him out, you know, we, we couldn't really just hang around and still utilize his space anymore. So we, uh, we ended up moving and we weren't really sure where to go. And we ended up on this fulfillment center, um, in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is really close to, if anybody out there knows, is really close to, um, QVC. And they do a lot, a lot, a lot of fulfillment for QVC. Um, but yeah, we became really good friends with this guy and he's, he's growing like, like crazy. He just keeps renting up all these warehouse spaces all around him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but he's through all that growth, he's been really cool to us and he's a lot, he's carved out this space in his warehouse where we can exist. And so it's, it's been super, super helpful, um, and kind of instrumental in us being able to survive really. Um, that's great you know, because I mean, what, you know, one of the, I think kind of dominating themes of COVID has been larger businesses doing really well, kind of sometimes at the expense of the smaller businesses who either get priced out or can't afford the the marketing spend to keep up or, you know, yeah. any, any litany of reasons. So that, that's, yeah. that's cool that you have that human to human connection and a guy actually kind of sticking up for you in a position where he can do something impactful. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. You know, you really, I mean, especially when you are a small business owner, you better get pretty good at, at communicating with people and, you know, being friendly with them, you know, being like kind of a cool person, because I think that will get rewarded. You know, if, if you're kind of an ass and you go around and you just expect all this stuff's going to happen for you, then people are going to be like, they're either going to overprice their their services because they don't care whether or not they get your business or they're just going to, you know, they're just going to shut you out altogether. So, right. yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, that that really has been super helpful and especially for for a, a small business like us. Now, we're, we're always we're constantly trying to figure out how to automate things more, you know, how to um, how to scale up because we have to make sure that. I think, you, you know, you have to take these, the, the wins when they come and, and we're like, yeah, this is a, a big win that he's allowed us to be in this space. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but we all also have to look to the future and be like, are we, you know, are we going to be able to scale up here? Are we going to have, you know, this warehouse facility? And then as we grow, are we going to have to move into another one? Or are we going to have to be exclusively in another one? You know, um, so all, all, all good questions. Yeah. You know, exactly. important to keep in mind, but also that it bodes well for the future if you're having to think about expansion. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So in, in summary, it's the two of it's just the two of you as as 50-50 owners, something close to it. Right, right. Okay. Yep. And then everything else uh, is basically contracted out the manufacturing and the fulfillment. Uh, and then kind of a, oh, you're overseeing probably as just geographic. Uh, proximity you're overseeing the manufacturing and evan is overseeing yeah. fulfillment and then um kind of last ish question here the, what's your 
your weekly time commitment to grass racks? That's a great question. And week to week, it's, it can be wildly different. Um, but I mean, some weeks it is, it'll be 20, 30 hours. Uh, and we, we both do other things too. So I have, you know, we'll talk about this a little right. bit, but I have a consulting business. Evan does other things. Um, and so we're not spending full time, you know, we're not spending like a 40, 60 hour work week on, on grass racks, but yeah, it could be 20, 30 hours in addition to what we're, um, more the other things we're doing or some weeks it could be like six to 10, you okay. know, or just a couple. So, and is, and is that it, mostly on, on the marketing side of things? It is now it okay. is. Yeah. Yeah. And for a while we were, you know, working with different manufacturers and trying to figure all that thing, all that stuff out and, you know, reduce bottlenecks and, and, and did you um, used to manufacture in China at all? No, no, always in the U S always in the U S yeah. Yeah. No, there are obviously a whole, a whole bunch of reasons why you would or would not, or the kind of the different list of, of pros and cons to shipping or to producing overseas rather than producing here, your yeah. turnaround time, uh, being probably one of the, one of the, the uh, bigger cons to produce yeah. abroad, especially if you're then shipping, uh, you know, by container, which is coming over the slow boat, you're, it would be yeah. hard to it to adjust and, and to scale to say a pandemic induced rise in demand. Yeah. Yep. I want to move on to stoked ventures, which is your other full-time job. Uh, right, right. <laughs> what what is that, and what do you do? So that is a product development consulting business. Um, I started out developing products up when I lived in in Philadelphia. I worked for another company where I developed um, physical products for for people. You know, mostly uh, I did mostly consumer products there. And, but they kind of, that company I worked for didn't really have a, a strong focus on, they didn't really know what kind of products they wanted to, to work on. They were kind of mechanical engineers for hire, which is fine. Um, but I really wanted to focus on working with inventors and working on consumer products and developing things that I could, um, or designing things that I could develop from a, a napkin sketch all the way to a finished manufacturable product, you know, that goes through prototype, you know, go through design and prototype iterations. Uh, we figure out manufacturing. And then, you know, from there, my client would kind of take it over and, and bring the products to market. But what I realized is over the years is a lot of the, the people, a lot of the inventor type people and small business small businesses who are developing products who would come to me didn't really understand how to take a product to market. You know, they, they had this idea, they kind of knew, Hey, I, I should probably look into getting a patent. I need to get this, you know, I need to get it developed. I need to get it manufactured. You know, honestly, they're not even thinking about development. They're sort of like patent and manufacturing, you know, and, and there's a million books out there. I've read, you know, a few of them that, they talk about that. They sort of gloss over the whole development part. And, and it's like, you need to file a patent and you need to talk to a manufacturer. And really though, it's kind of opposite. Um, you really should talk to a product development engineer first. 
And you should at least have the design started before you get a patent because I've seen it where patents have kind of handcuffed the design. Like we can't, people have come to me with an existing patent and they're like, hey, can you design this product? And we get into it. I'm like, yeah, I can design it within the the framework of the patent. But if I do that, it's it's not going to be the best product. You know, right. You're, should... pa- you're patenting an inferior product. Right. Rather, rather than figuring out what the, the end product should be, you know, with that's that's the, the final result of all of the iterations. And, and now that you've perfected it, now you patent it rather than race right. it to the to the patent finish line. Exactly. Which yeah, is not cause... a cheap or easy process or short yeah. process. No. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you can file a provisional application quickly, but to get a full non-provisional patent can take years. So you really, you might as well do it right. I mean, I I had a client who spent tens of thousands of dollars on his patent, came to me, we developed a product. um, And I, I developed it even though, even though I wanted to design it a little differently in kind of a better way, uh, I couldn't really because we wanted to make sure that it was covered in the patent. And then it turns out that the, the attorney was kind of unresponsive for a while. He went to another attorney and the other attorney said, hey, like nothing's covered because the way that they wrote the patent was was that there were like five, five or six features that needed to that all needed to exist on this product or the patent wasn't upheld. So somebody could say, cool, I'm only going to do four of those five things. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't covered, like that. it was totally legal. I mean, they, they weren't infringing on the patent at all. So that, that was kind of an example of, of me trying to squeeze the design into, into a framework, which I did, but also the, the patent attorney not really doing what they were supposed to do. Um, but yeah, so through, through, uh, through that process and working with all these different clients, uh, I realized that that a lot of people really don't understand the process of getting a product to market. So that's when I came up with Stoke Strategies, where I help people. In addition to product development, I'm helping people with uh, launch strategies to give them a, a roadmap of, hey, how do you go from what are all the pieces you have to put together here and in what order, you know? Um, because I, with Grass Racks and with Stoke, I've, I've wasted so much time. I mean, an incredible amount of time and uh, tens of thousands of dollars, literally uh, just figuring it out, you know? So I'm like, it would be really, it'd be awesome if I could help people streamline that process. And right. Say, not have to reinvent the wheel. No, I'm, exactly, I'm a hundred exactly. percent there, there with you with the, the looking back on it going, well, you at the time it seemed like you it was the right decision and probably you know maybe you have to learn those lessons some of those lessons yourself but if you have the resources and the the cash flow or you know honey pot to, to pull from and pay someone else to basically tell you hey here are a million things or here, here are the top 10 lessons that i learned and the things that you should skip and here are the things that you should focus on Mm-hmm. Let, instead of you taking two or three years to learn those lessons yourself, pay me X number of dollars. And in a month you'll have, you know, you, you can basically just skip to the front of the line. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And there's yeah. still a lot of work to be done. You know, sure. after that, it's kind of like the framework of how you, 
how you get a product to market. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's definitely, I think it's really helpful. And every product is a little different. You know, there's some, there's some products that in a marketing strategy, I would recommend, um, let's say affiliate marketing exclusively. And I wouldn't even bother with, uh, with paid ads at all, you know, or, or even content. Um, when, with grass racks, we have, we have a product that's not, it's not massively searched on Google. Um, there is some, there is some search for some good relevant keywords. Um, but, but they're not, it's not massive volume. And it's also, uh, there's a lot of competition, believe it or not. Like there's a ton of competition for board racks online, which is kind of crazy, but so we can, we can, and we do put out some content, um, and it, that helps, but it doesn't, it doesn't move the needle in a big way. So doing like affiliate marketing with, um, with people, with board manufacturers and with, uh, with different websites that, you know, can help promote our product, um, to people who are, who are either searching for board racks or who kind of stumble on, you know, who are reading through an article and they see our stuff they're like, Oh yeah, that I wasn't looking for that, but that would be, I, I could actually really use that. So we right. got to figure out, figure out the different creative ways of, of, you know, what are, what are the, you know, what are the one or two, maybe three max ways to move the needle and just focus on those for every business and, and not really do too much of anything else until you've perfected those one or two things. Right. Better to do one or two things to perfection than do a bunch of things pretty well is yeah. that, that's a lesson that I've, I've certainly found as to be true as well. I, yep, yep. I, I, I do want to uh, give you a little bit of time here before we move on to our mid COVID segment, uh, yep. just to, to, to very briefly tell us about, because this does barely qualify as, as pre COVID, but your, your podcast, can you, can you tell us about that real quick? Our focus is, is interviewing entrepreneurs and it's called that entrepreneur life. Um, we interview entrepreneurs and we talk about their journey. So it's kind of, kind of like how I built this, um, you know, but we're, we're really, because we're really interested in, in the journey from start to finish, not just like, Hey, you're successful. Let's talk about that. We want to talk about, you know, the highs and the lows and from start to finish kind of thing. Oh, Andrew, um, you are preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, when, whenever I see something, you know, some piece of content on a business that, you know, like let's say Patagonia and all they're talking about is this success, you know, like let's say the last 10, 20 years or, or however long it's actually been successful and they want to know all about that. I'm like, I couldn't be less interested. I'm way more interested in the startup phase of any business. Right. Tell me because, about the grind, about the, about the obstacles and the, you know, having to retrace your steps because you, you, you went head first into something that you didn't know about. And then, you know, you're banging your head against that wall and realize that, okay, they, that's, that's not the place to put your, your time and, and energy and, and resources into. And we, yeah, what, what, what yeah. didn't work exactly what we were just talking about. What are the lessons that they learned that they could pass along to someone else, but that they had to, to kind of learn for themselves. Yeah. And, and that's where companies are, you know, that's the make or break period of, of a business is the start, right? Like obviously businesses fail at, you know, after they've been successful, but the, the um, percentages are much lower and percentages of, 
a business failing in some time in the beginning are way higher. And so I think it's way more interesting to learn about, about that. What are the thing, you know, how do you start like, you know, even, um, CEOs of, of businesses who've worked their way up the corporate ladder, I, I could care less about that person for the most part. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Cause I, I think we probably had some, like, you know, a couple of CEOs on there who would probably have worked up the corporate ladder. Right. Um, but it's, and some people are super interested in that, you know, that, um, but to me, I'm interested in the founders, you know, I'm interested in the people who were there from day one, who had the idea and didn't stop until it was successful. Um, you know, playing the, you know, corporate ladder climb political game is, is, you know, that's an achievement in and of itself, but it's so different. And I'm so, I'm way more interested, um, you know, in learning from, from people who are founding companies. And then with the podcast, we're also, you know, kind of trying to, you know, learn about these different businesses and inspire people, but also um, figure out what, what they, what are the actionable takeaways that people can use on a daily basis in their business? You know, and I think, so that's kind of where we want to take it a step further than how I built this, where it's not just, not just a story and the story is awesome and inspiring, but we want to hear about things that people can actually do. Right. So I think we've laid a pretty good foundation here and I want to move on to the mid COVID set. But before we do, as always, it's time for our guests unsponsor, the unsponsor being an awesome company run by awesome people producing an awesome product. They don't pay for a shout out. They just deserve one for the work that they're doing. So, Andrew, tell us, who is today's show not brought to us by? Uh, today's show is not brought to you by Catchalore, um, a, a really very cool company um, run by one very cool individual <laughs> um, who who I have worked with. But he's, uh, he's just a um, great guy and small business. The, the product is a fishing retrieval device or fishing lure retrieval device. So if anybody out there fishes, they get their, you get your lure or your fly stuck in a tree or a bush. Um, this thing really compact, it fits in, fits in your vest and uh, you just take it out, put it on the end of your rod or your pole. Or there's also an extendable version that they have. Um, and so you just, you reach up there, it's got a couple of magnets and a blade. It grabs the, the hooks on the lure, like the metal part. And, and then the blade cuts the line. So you, when you kind of pull it down, it'll cut the line, get your lure back, um, get it out of the tree, which it's, you know, there's thousands. I didn't realize this before, uh, before I learned about catch lure, but there's, and I'm not a big fisher, fishermen, but, um, it's like a really big problem. There's like back casting with fly fishing. People are always getting their, their flies stuck in trees. So yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's actually a lot of, um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about it and, uh, anybody who really fishes, they're like, they either say one of two things they're like, yeah, of course, of course I get my fly stuck in a tree or they're like, no, not me. You know, they're kind of joking, like, no, I'm not that right, bad, you know, right. but <laughs> people, everybody who's really honest with themselves are like, oh yeah, I've hundreds, I've lost hundreds of, you know, lures and trees. And it's really, really kind of tough to get them out. I I, I love catch a lure, not because I, I fish all, but just from like an entrepreneurial standpoint, because 
a an agreed upon a relatively agreed upon principle of of starting a business is that you should it's better to have like 10 diehard customers than a thousand people who are like moderately interested in in your product and it oh, feels, yeah. i feel like this is the kind of thing that addresses a very specific need and mm-hmm. it has a very targeted demographic uh, but mm-hmm. those people probably absolutely love it. And I, and I don't imagine there are a ton of competitors. So that's right. I, I think and it's just what catch a lure.com catch a lure.com. Exactly. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. So let's move to our mid COVID set where we will talk about the impacts that COVID had on your various businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I, I meant to ask you beforehand was what was your expected revenue breakdown as a share of of your personal income between grass racks and stoke ventures yeah so um because we've been putting so much back into grass racks Mm -hmm. over the over the years um i really wasn't expecting anything this year again i i guess i was maybe expecting a little bit um maybe maybe a few percent of my total revenue for 2020 uh, but that was, but that was kind of it. And, and it, it ended up to be about that. Um, let's see. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. A few percent. Okay. So yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, but we haven't really expected it to, you know, to fully pay the bills yet. Um, but the nice thing is it is a sustainable business. You know, it's, we've been, we haven't had any debt for a long time and, you know, we're, we're growing all the time. So, so Stoke um, Ventures is, is the main source of income and then grass racks scaling and hopefully 2021 yeah. will be the year that it really starts to, to, to churn out some, some income. Exactly. Yep. Um, so one thing that you and I had talked about is you may have felt the impacts of the pandemic a little bit earlier than most Americans did through mm-hmm. your consulting business. Uh, can you walk us through kind of the, the timeline of when you first experienced the pandemic as an impact on your business or, or your, your, your client's business? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty interesting because with, so I first noticed it with Stoke with a product development in I probably, probably sometime around January, maybe early February. Um, or yeah, must've been, must've been January. Um, because I kind of knew something was, you know, going on over in China. I have a couple of clients who are manufacturing products in China, um, who I was working with. And one of them, I was actually working on, uh, we were working on building the tooling for, for their products at actually started, um, like in the fall of 2019 and we were still working on it, you know, in the winter because it takes a while to make tooling. And, um, there's some, you know, some challenges there that, that kind of, uh, just end up taking a lot of time. Then you've got Chinese new year too. So somewhere around Chinese new year in January, um, I, I realized, you know, that, that there was definitely going to be an impact, uh, over there because, you know, things were starting to shut down. Um, there was, you know, still zero impact really directly in the U S and we didn't think it was, I think most people, including myself, didn't even think that, you know, the virus was going to come over here. If it was, it would be super well contained. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I noticed it with this, you know, one client I was, we were working on their tooling and, and the factory shut down because, you know, things were just really, they were clamping down in China and starting to shut, shut things down. So, um, so yeah, that, that was actually probably the biggest impact because we had to wait a couple months until everything got back to, to normal. It, it, which things like, sort of did in China. They did they, because they shut down yeah. uh, so quickly and and so absolutely that, it, they, exactly. that they actually did sort of go back to the life life as as normal and kind of back to their pre-COVID existence. Uh, yeah. They're not seeing the, the same resurgence that, that, that we are. Oh, yeah, for sure. But so having seen, and you, you kind of answered this a little bit, but did you learn lessons did you see anything over in china that you that helped you to prepare did you do anything differently seeing what was happening over there do you think you did anything differently because of that experience that's that's a good question i think i think that i i kind of maybe i braced myself a little bit more just mentally you know like okay we you know even if it's a couple months we might see a dip there might be some, you know, I might have some clients fall off, you know, who are, you know, maybe, maybe there's some job loss or, um, you know, there's, there's, I just kind of felt like, man, maybe there's going to be a dip in activity. And so I have to really hit the gas. And I made, I definitely made sure that I, I didn't slow down with my marketing efforts for Stoke and doing outreach and connecting with, you know, with people who could refer me business. So, I th- I think that helped. Like I just didn't, I, I just didn't sit back and, you know, kind of hope for the best. I really, um, even though I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to be impacted. Um, and it, you know, I think things change all the time. So it's hard, you know, hard to tell how we're going right. to continue to be impacted, but, but yeah, I just, I just, you know, pedal to the metal as much as I could, you know, made sure that I was still do- marketing and doing outreach and was like, right, yeah, shoot, whatever happens, like I need to, keep getting business here. So I, I don't think I've, I've put words to this feeling, but I think that if I were to do things differently, I would have tried to increase larger contracts by giving larger price breaks than I ordinarily would have to ensure that commitment. And that would have been my version of kind of, you know, going pedal to the metal because yeah. it seems like those are the companies that have kind of, uh, weathered this storm the best in, in, in my industry. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. I mean, like the larger contracts are, are probably coming from larger companies who, yeah. who have that cash to, you know, they've, they've got more cash flow or better cash flow, better cash reserves too. Right. So cash reserves can, is key. Yeah. A little, yeah. That's certainly been a, a resounding uh, and consistent theme of of from my guests is that you know okay great my, my business is shut down i have to have to close my restaurant or my supply chain is impacted whatever i have three months of cash reserves i have two months of yeah. cash reserves before i need to get a loan before i need to or or shut things down etc apple sitting on you know a, a trillion dollars in cash is basically a small country they don't have those same yeah. worries and and neither yeah. do a lot of other companies that kind of had those larger cash reserves. So yeah, it's, it's definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think I heard something years ago and I wonder how true it is probably more true now than ever, but 
that UPS could stop operations, not make any more money for like two or three and continue to pay everybody on their payroll for like two or three years or something. Just no future revenue, you know, not making any money going forward. It's like, holy crap. That's incredible. That's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a good, it's a good lesson for businesses. I think that's, if anything, that's like maybe one of the biggest things that that businesses can get out of the, the pandemic is um, how do they become more, um, you know, more resilient, like resilient, exactly. And, uh, you know, and when weather these storms, cause I didn't realize how, I didn't realize like how many businesses were really just like a bad day or a bad week away, like literally a bad week away from just shuttering going. Yeah. Shuttering. And then, you know, very potentially going out of business. So yeah, I mean, more businesses should operate with, you know, with the intention of having more, more cash reserve. And (laughs) that's also easier said than done. I mean, I, yeah, I would love to have a few employees or all of my, my staff's uh, annual salary times three in cash reserves and also yeah. still be able to operate a business and grow our business the way that I, you know, we want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely true. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's definitely all the lessons learned are, are definitely always easier said than done for sure. It's like, Oh, just make more money. Let's, you know, let's all, right. you know, let's all just make more money. It's not, yeah, you're right. It's definitely not that easy. I think, uh, I mean, speak, one, well, so I was just gonna say, so, you know, one thing to think about is like grass racks, right? Like, you know, that's, you obviously don't have the, the years and years worth of salaries, uh, st- stuck away because you're, you're doing what you can to, to bootstrap, uh, right. and, and scale that business and, and compete in a very, uh, Google AdWord expensive, uh, uh, industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that have, I mean, that's an interesting point too, because we were in a way lucky that we hadn't gotten used to this, to this big salary or any salary at all. Right. You're you nimble. Know? Right. So, so really, you know, we were relying on revenue from other sources to pay the bills, you know, all while we, you know, kept pumping, you know, money back into, into grass racks and, you know, reinvesting. So that was kind of, and if we just didn't have as much to reinvest it, what that's not as big a deal as like, Oh shit, we're, you know, how, how are we going to pay ourselves? How are we going to support our our lives? You know? So, So in a way, in a way, yeah, that's definitely, definitely something that, you know, that we were lucky with. Um, I can, I can totally, uh, that, that, that resonates with me. Yeah. 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 2020 was going to be our big year where my company would like, we had some pretty big things lined up and uh, potential partnerships with some, some bigger chains and all of those obviously fell through or got put on some serious hiatus. Uh, And, you know, luckily my, my wife and I basically subsist on, on her income. And so when, when mine, when the, when the potential went away, it was just potential. It wasn't, Hey, we have a house, we have a mortgage and we're, we, you know, we need, we weren't reliant on, on my pre-existing large revenue stream. And yeah. it actually has made things easier to kind of weather that storm. Whereas if we were, 
if, if our roles were reversed, we would have, I don't think my company would still be around. They would yeah. have had, would have had to go, you know, find some, some stupid tech job and yeah. <laughs> sell my soul. And not that I, not that I'm ruling that out, mind you. Right. Uh, yeah. Just, you, not, know, you can't I, rule I, anything out. Yeah. But I can't I, be too I, good for anything. Exactly. No, def, definitely not. Well, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, yeah, that, that's interesting because there, I think there is, uh, there are companies that are at this higher, you know, they've, they've made it past that first, they've made it to that first or second level mm-hmm. where they have like with grass racks, um, while we're growing, you know, we're, we're growing and we are the revenue that we bring in has paid for years before we've paid ourselves has paid for other, other people to do their job you know, to help us with tasks. Um, the nice thing is that we haven't had anybody as an employee. So everybody, we've been very, very nimble where um, the, you know, we pay for, for warehouse space and fulfillment as much as we need it. We pay for, you know, manufacturing services as much as we need them. Right. You can, you can easily scale either up or down. As yeah. 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 And I think there's, there's companies that have gotten through the first real big growing pains of starting a business and like, all right, I've, uh, we've made it. Now we have, in order to scale, we have to hire a bunch of employees. You know, we have to have all these expenses and, you know, and if they really do have to have all that stuff, then I really feel bad, you know, for those businesses. Cause then you, you get hit and you've got all these expenses and you're going through the next series of growing pains trying to make it to that next level yeah. where you do have more cash flow. You can have more cash reserve um, just by the, you know, the way that the, just by your business model, but you don't quite make it there because something like COVID comes and just like, you know, just wipes you out for a few months right. or, or something a year. Something like COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like hopefully it never, there's never something ever something like COVID again, but but yeah, so that that's really really tough, and so in a way, um, I'm, I think we're almost lucky that you know we we have we both have businesses that if we lost anything, it was mostly potential. Well, let's um, let's talk about bo- yeah. both of those businesses. So one, Grass Racks. Uh, I I know that you were you were telling me offline that your web traffic has spiked and has sustained that spike. Um, yeah. And sales have maybe not gone up one to one with that traffic but have also increased. Has that been, you think, um, a result of anything that you've done differently with your marketing or something else? Uh, I think, so I think it's kind of a combination of both. Um, I, I, our traffic, it's kind of hard to deny that we got a boost in traffic from, from COVID. And, and it's weird. It's so weird to say that out loud, but you know, because it's like, like in, in, in a, to benefit in any way from, you know, from again, something like COVID is, uh, is, is just doesn't feel right. But, um, but I think what happened was there were a lot of people now, all of a sudden in March, there are a lot of people who were at home who were, you know, staring at, they had all this stuff around They're they, like, they're really taking a hard look at, at their house and what's in it and what's not organized, you know? And, and so I think being, a uh, being in the really in the home organization market, which we kind of are, you know, we're in a specific part of it, 
with helping people to organize their gear, their, their surfboards or snowboards, bikes, skis, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think people were, were like, Oh, I've got all, I really need to, I really need to do that project where I, I hang all my stuff and get it up and out of the way and get it on display. So I, I think that. Oh man, I, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. You got a little, little projects. I see a, is that a surfboard leash behind you, by the way? That is. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love it. Hanging on a, on a coat rack. Yeah. Okay. Not, not a, a grass rack. Not a grass rack. Not yet. Bamboo. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not yet. No, I'm sure we'll, we'll get there. That's cool. Yeah. No, I mean, so I think that that's, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, we, we never really slowed down our marketing efforts. Um, we, we still have, but I will say we have a, a long way to go to really get to where, um, where we want to be with, with our marketing efforts. And we, we, we want to be more consistent and we want to, want to make more content. We want to have more affiliates and all that stuff. So, um, but I think some of that stuff finally pays off when you've got more people like we, we had affiliate links out there on different websites, but I, I think they were just clicked on more now that there's more people online, all of a sudden visiting all those web pages, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to learn about how, how they can organize their stuff, what, and how they can do a TikTok dance and, you know, like every, everything, everything, all of a sudden, all this traffic is flooding the internet, you know, people wanting to know about, about everything that they didn't previously have time for or the patience for. So yeah, I think that was a big part of it. And um, yeah, so kind of a combination of that marketing effort that we had already, if we hadn't put the work in before to have all those links out there, then I, I don't think we would have seen as much of an effect, but the links were out there waiting to be clicked on, you know, on these affiliate sites. And then when the traffic flooded the internet, we, we saw that boost. Right. And, and just to clarify for our listeners who aren't familiar with the term affiliate, it basically just means that uh, it's, it's a way for, let's say, a, a blogger wants to recommend an, uh, grass racks, they can have a link and have signed up with uh, somehow um, with, a, with, with you so that every so the traffic that they refer to you, assuming that that, that customer or that that um that reader from the blog they click on the link all from the blog it takes them to your webs to, to grass racks they buy something that blogger then gets a kickback five percent ten percent fifteen percent whatever something like that and so they're yep. incentivized to basically create content for you around your products yep, um I, exactly so i want to get to stoke ventures how um, how Stoke Ventures was impacted, I would imagine, you know, you're, well, first of all, how many clients are you generally working on, on an annual basis? On an annual basis with Stoke, um, I'm usually working with about 20, 20 to 30. And have you seen that number stay consistent in 2020? Yeah. Uh, and it's actually grown in, in 2020. I'll have to look back actually and just kind of, um, and check out the the numbers, but it, it definitely grew in 20, 2020. Uh, and because then that was really, that was all because of, of my outreach efforts. Um, I don't think I really, I don't think I really got a boost from, from COVID. Um, Did except, you lose anyone from COVID? 
I did. Yeah. Uh, not much though. I got to say, I was really lucky. Only there were only maybe two or three projects where the, where the person just couldn't continue. Um, they, they just couldn't continue with the product because they, you know, they were, they weren't sure about what their job was going to look like in a few months. And, um, one, one person did lose her job. Um, and that, that was, that was tough because I, I was, she was behind on payment anyway. And so I had done all this work. I'd really, I'd finished the, the project and, and gotten 50% of, of payment for it. And I was looking for the other half, you know, and then she's like, oh, I, I lost my job and she was nice at first, but when I kind of pressed her like, Hey, I'm really sorry about that. But, you know, I was hoping that, you know, really I expect this might sound really harsh, but when you start a project, um, let's say it's $10,000, I, as a, you know, as a service provider, I'm expecting that you have that money set aside for that project. You know, you, you know, cash flow wise, maybe you don't have, you know, you have enough to, to pay like a $5,000 deposit. You might not have the other $5,000 right away, but you are within at least a few weeks when you're expecting the project to be finished, you're like, you're, you know, you, you're confident you're going to have it. And so she, and she just didn't, she just didn't have the other half. And then all, all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was like, Oh, this wasn't even what I wanted. You know, like this, this, she started, started kind of, you know, saying that I didn't, I mean, she, up until then it was, Oh, this looks great. Great job. We're doing well. Yeah. Right. I'm ready to move ahead with the prototype. Cool. All of a sudden out of nowhere, it was like, Oh, this isn't even what I really wanted. It was like, what you just, you just don't want to pay. So right. that was, a, that was a shame. Um, but for the most part, it wasn't like that. For the most part, I kept, you know, the clients and the other one or two people who did fall off, they, they paid up until the work that had been completed. And even if they had a, you know, balance on the project, they at least paid me for the work that I did. And then we just stopped, you know, and we can always pick it up later, which is totally, totally fine. Yeah. So, um, but so over, so overall grass racks up Stoke ventures lost a couple of people, but in the grand scheme of things, it seems like you, you got off, got off pretty good. Um, yeah. have you have you seen people have you seen people who you think had it not been for covid wouldn't have enlisted your services wouldn't have kind of been been spurred to action i think so yeah i think there's some people who um they started working at home or maybe they lost their job and or that you know even if they didn't lose their job maybe they saw some volatility in with their job like you know they kind of realize, um, I'm not really sure. Maybe I shouldn't rely 110% on this thing that could go away at any minute. You know, right. I mean, there's, there's risk in, there's risk in being an entrepreneur. There's a lot of risk. Um, but to me, it's scarier to have a job that could just go from, you know, hundred percent salary to zero in a day for no reason. They don't have to have a reason, you know? Um, and, and there was a big enough reason with COVID that people had to let, let, you know, their employees, some of their employees go. So, yeah, I think that there were some people who were like, I'm not sure what I, or, you know, it's maybe time, they had it's a, time to dust off that business plan that you've been talking about doing 
forever exactly and, yeah, and now yeah. is the time because there is so much uncertainty exactly yeah so yeah. i think i did see some of that yeah okay. people were like ah let's let's get going here i've, I've got this idea and and let's get let's it make started it happen and, and andrew's mm-hmm. the guy to to, to to make that happen yeah <laughs> yep so as we move into into post-covid i, I kind of want to talk about uh lessons learned here yeah um so obviously the, with grass racks part of the of the increase in web traffic is just due to circumstances people are at home with more time to kill and they spend it on the internet and want to clean up their house and like and you end up kind of benefiting from that um what other lessons have can you can you kind of take away and what will you be doing differently in 2021 as a result of those lessons learned yeah great question um so for for grass racks, I well for for really all of my businesses going forward, uh, I I will definitely I think the biggest one of the biggest takeaways for me is always be as lean as possible with your business. I don't care if you're, um, you know, a, a multi billion dollar business. Uh, why have expenses if you don't really need them? You know. So, and I think that's where some businesses go wrong. Uh, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call, I don't know what's going on with a company like, like a, a big company, let's say like Snapchat, which is a, a billion dollar business, or at least it was, I don't really, I don't really know exactly where they stand now. But um, I remember like they had, they had so many employees. I was out in, in California in, uh, in Santa Monica or uh, Venice beach where they have, I guess their, their headquarters. And like every other person you bumped into had a, had a Snapchat tag on, like they've got so much overhead They're they, To me, they're, they're kind of like, we have a, a ton of money. Let's spend it. it mm-hmm. You know, let's just go spend it. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense to me if maybe you do need all those people, but I, I know I kind of feel like who needs hundreds of engineers, you know, to come up with one, you know, a bunch of goofy face filters. I, I don't know, but <laughs> You know, you know, so I think the, the the biggest takeaway for me is, and I always had this mentality is be as lean as possible. And it really just like reaffirmed that, you know, it re- kind of reassured me that that's, that's kind of the, the right thing to do is um, be lean and agile and, and take on as few expenses as you, as you need, obviously, you know, don't, don't hold back to the point where you can't grow. Um, if you right. Need to hire and fi- someone, finding that balance is tough. It's yeah, tough. But, oh, but, I think it's really, I think it's really hard. I think it's one of the hardest things of, of being an entrepreneur is, is scaling, is acquiring the resources you need to scale in a sustainable way. I think that's really, really tough. So, but yeah, that would be one of my biggest takeaways for both businesses. No, knowing what was coming, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, for sure. I would have like, tripled down on content. I, I would have, I would have really invested more back then in, uh, in having more, more blogs for my website, more, um, more videos, anything that could be, you know, searched online and that people could find because I had no idea how many more, more people were going to be online searching for things. And it takes a while for, for your content to get indexed. So if I had really 
dug in hard on content 10 months ago, by now it I'd be really if as long as it's good content, you know, if it's right it's garbage and that's a different story. Slight caveat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't put a, a bunch of crap out there. But uh but yeah, I I would be seeing the results of that. Um where where I saw a year, like a year and a half, two years ago, I really started digging into to my outreach and reaching out to, to complementary businesses who could help refer, who could refer business to me. That has paid off in a, in a massive way for me. And it took a while. It took months to get to really get going, almost a year until that really started paying off. And luckily, I did that in 2019. So that in 2020, despite the pandemic, that really started paying off. But yeah, if I had the next thing is is like really getting the content and getting controlling the views, controlling the visitors to my website so that, you know, I can I can kind of have more of like a, a direct uh, conversation with them. Right. And what about the podcast? Do you, do you consider that to be a, an, an income source or a, or more of a hobby? Kind of somewhere in between, and it's not a an income source yet, um, but we're we're definitely treating it more than a hobby. Where we we definitely want to monetize it, mm-hmm. but we're we really spent the first year just or almost year just making as many, doing as many episodes as we can, so we have that content that we can get out to people. Um, and but yeah, we we definitely want to monetize it and figure out a way, you know, how we can um how we can make that a, a revenue source so because it, it costs money i mean you know it's like i do know it, it's not free i think a lot of people you're welcome like, listeners yeah yeah <laughs> yeah let me tell you grant has put some money into tens this, of you know? dollars into this yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so yeah it's not free we at, at least it would be awesome to cover our our expenses yeah so that would be cool. And then we'll just kind of take it from there. See, see how it goes. Yeah. Cool. Well, as we truly wrap up the show here, what if, uh, I know you, we, we have three different ways, three, three different mediums here. Um, how do our listeners best support you if they want to find out more or if they, or if they want to buy or if they want to listen? Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, to have these, these shout outs. Um, uh, the first thing with Stoke is uh, I've got stokestrategies.com and that is uh, that's my strategies part of the service and, and then stokeventures.com that's the product development part um, and then for for the product for my product grassracks it's grassracks.com um, you can check that out if you've got boards bikes skis you need you know you want a, a really cool way to hang them and display them um, check that out. And, and then the, the last thing is if you want to listen to, you know, to more cool content about entrepreneurship. Um, I mean, obviously this podcast is, is really cool. It's been a blast to be on here with you, Grant. Um, and we'll have to have you on the, our podcast, by the way, that would be, that'd be really fun. I would uh, love to. Yeah. And so, so to hear more about that, it's that entrepreneurlife.com. Uh, well, I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your story, being vulnerable, and uh, lo- look forward to, to staying in touch. Yeah. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah, it was awesome to, to be on the show and uh, look forward to catching up soon. 
thank you to my guest, Andrew Lees. Check out his high-quality bamboo storage racks at grassracks.com. Hire him to help take your idea from idea to market at stokeventures.com and listen to his podcast, That Entrepreneurship Life. Time now for my unsponsor, aka a small business doing everything right. They don't pay for a shout out and heck, they don't even know a shout out's coming, but they still deserve one. So today's show was not brought to you by Aya Art, a nonprofit art organization that creates empowering spaces for kids to express themselves through art. They offer online classes, art kits, and projects built around acrylic press painting, geometry symbol illustrations, mixed media planets, and even ice dyeing face masks. Great activities anytime, but especially in the back half of the pandemic, where social distance living is key. Speaking of shopping small, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsors and the small businesses run by our guests. There are now over 100 businesses listed that you probably have never heard of, but guaranteed will be impressed by. So positively shape the world and shop small. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, Worldometer, NPR, Robinhood Snacks, and Morning Brew Daily News, Emails, Statista, and my wonderful researcher, Kaylin Kwan. Someday this will all be over. Until then, fight the fatigue, social distance, and wear a mask. From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back, as always, with our quick lightning round bonus segment. Three quick questions for our guest, Andrew. Number one, what is a common misconception about your business? So for the product development and strategy part of it, uh, the, I think the most common misconception is how difficult it is to, or how much is involved in getting a product to market. Amen. And then what about for grass racks? Oh, for grass racks, I think the, the, with any product, the mis- big misconception is shipping. Um, like it's some magical free thing that Amazon has set this standard that, yeah, you, you know, shipping a physical product from here to there is is free because they make it so easy and they set this kind of unrealistic precedent. Yeah, oh, that that definitely resonates with me. Building on the negative, what is your least favorite part <laughs> about entrepreneurship? Uh, my least favorite part about entrepreneurship is uh, dealing with unreasonable customers, and and it it happens with uh, with grass racks and with Stoke. With grass racks, it's not so bad because it's like you know smaller ticket item things that we can sort of you know we, I mean we deal with them as nicely as possible. But hey, if you don't like a product, that's cool. You know, go find something else. With uh, with Stoke, it's a little more complicated because there's larger scope projects. Everything's real custom, but yeah, dealing with just really frustrating, ignorant, and unreasonable customers sucks. Yeah, uh, but at least the the upside there is is I think you being the business owner, you get to to dictate the terms as to how you how you deal with those people rather than exactly. in, in a nine to five being a little bit more uh, constrained. And exactly. on on that uh, that up note, because this is a happy show, ostensibly at least, uh, <laughs> what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? My favorite part is definitely the potential. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's really why that, that's the biggest reason why I'm an entrepreneur. I think is is because of the every day 
there's potential to build on what you did the day before. And there's like, there's no ceiling, you know, there's no like, oh, if I want to make more money, I have to apply to a, you know, a, another position. I have to wait for a raise. I have to, you know, like you don't have as much control. Um, and I think with being an entrepreneur, you have that control. I mean, it's, it's difficult, but it's definitely, and it's, it's less, I'd say reliable. Um, but everything rests on you and that potential is just what, what drives me every day. Unlimited potential. Yep.